I'm Millie Hill, author of Give Birth Like a Feminist, the book about why birth is a feminist issue. In this podcast, I meet some of the experts featured in the book and explore childbirth through a feminist lens. Today, my guest is Hannah Darlin, Professor of Midwifery in the School of Nursing and Midwifery, Western Sydney University, and midwife for more than 30 years. Hannah has over 250 research papers and book chapters to her name, and in 2019, she was awarded a member of the Order of Australia in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for her significant services to midwifery, nursing, and medical education and research. Her focused determination to end birth trauma and bring about lasting improvements in care for women really gives me hope. So hi, Hannah, welcome. It's amazing to see you. We last saw each other in, I think it was 2018. Was it 2018 Mm. or 2017? I've lost track, but I know it was Sydney and we had a lovely day walking around yeah. the harbour. Yeah, yeah, we had a lovely time. That was an amazing adventure for me to go all the way to Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you for your continued amazing work um, uh, as an advocate for women in childbirth. Um, you're an absolute powerhouse and it's amazing to have you here on the podcast today. Tell me a bit about um, what you're up to at the moment and where your thinking is at. Look, I, I... I'm involved in lots of different research projects and, um, you know, I have a lot of PhD and, and master's and honor students who are also leading really interesting um, projects. But in the last sort of five or six years, really, um, based on a lot of work we were doing around things like free birth and why women are moving outside of the system due to traumatic births. And we, of course, published a book in 2020 called, um, you know, the birthing outside the system, the canary in the coal mine, which was all that international research on it. I've really moved more and more into the um, interest in, in, in birth trauma and in models of care and what can we do to prevent, you know, up to 30% of women walking away from their births feeling like they have been in a war zone. And, you know, the implications that that has, we've been chasing the ripples, the implications on the baby, on the partner, on the family, on the future is mega. And yet we still, birth trauma is still a dirty little secret that um, is really only now having the lift lid and, you know, the, the lid lifted and we're really trying to be part of that. Yes, because I think women are so encouraged not to talk about their birth trauma and, you know, almost made to feel like that might be a selfish act to think about their own experience in the birth room. And you've got a healthy baby. Why are you complaining? You know, and unless you have a significant damage or scar, people do not understand that the majority of birth trauma is psychological and that that psychology is really important to healthy mothering and healthy womanhood and healthy families and healthy society so we need to move away from trauma just being about physical trauma which of course vitally important and often is co-located or occurs with psychological trauma but women can have no physical trauma and be utterly devastated by the birth experiences they've had Mm. let's talk a little bit um but just unpicking everything you said which is already amazing let's go back to what you said about the canary in the coal mine and um women who birth outside the system that was something i became quite fascinated with as well when um writing give birth like a feminist and as you probably know there's a chapter in there called loose women which is kind of about exactly that about the women who can't be tamed can't be controlled and that goes for midwives as well as women um pregnant women because you know it they also get punished for trying to think outside the box so um could you talk a little bit about that 
yes and actually in the book we have you know a few chapters um actually dedicated to that and 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 basically the system is crushing anyone who does not comply with norms of the system and if you become an ally for women which midwives are often the closest ally to women in the maternity sector and then you think midwives are often low in the rung of the very powerful health services that we have run, which are financial, managed, and doctors have enormous amount of power and say and influence. You then know how easy it is to target that already. First of all, vulnerable group of women going through this intimate, vulnerable experience where they need trust and relationships. And then this group of midwives that are still struggling for identity and for for recognition and for respect. So you put those two together and, man, they love lighting the pyre under under women and particularly midwives who support them. So the women who want to birth outside the system, who you've written about in your book, um, tell me a little bit about them and their, their motivations. What are they saying? So... The book is like a collection of many, many different studies. About six of them are ours, and then we have them from all around the world. And whether it was a story from India, whether it was a story from um, the Netherlands, whether it was a story from the UK, whatever country we had the stories from, and these were research-based chapters, they were very similar principles. And the first principle is that most women who choose to free birth have got trauma. So they usually, the majority, have had a very traumatic birth experience where they have often been disrespected, coerced, they've come out devastated. A certain amount of them have post-traumatic stress disorder, which is, of course, the very serious pointy end of, of birth trauma. And I, we've interviewed women who've said, I can't even look at a hospital sign or even hear an ambulance without breaking out in sweat and feeling sick. So these women almost couldn't darken the doors of a hospital if they were you know, triggered by it. But also their previous experience meant, sadly, they didn't trust anyone in the health service, including midwives, which is really heartbreaking. And they saw midwives in their cases as often aligned to the system and cooperating with the system that led to their trauma. So they choose to go outside the system, they choose birth at home they choose to birth unattended by a professionally trained midwife some increasingly on australia unregulated birth workers are being employed or doulas or they just do it themselves with their partner and really they're responding to what we've done to them in the system so when we point our fingers at these women and say you know these are selfish dangerous women um actually we are the cause of that so what have we done have we failed our job so badly that they don't want we what we've got to offer. So that's really the heart of of freedom. There is so much woman blaming in all running through all of these um, situations, isn't there? I, I often talk about the woman blaming that happens after birth trauma because I find it's um, sometimes women who have a plan, who have a hope for what kind of birth they might want. Maybe they plan a home birth, or they want a water birth in hospital, or they do hypnobirthing, and often they're they're sort of made to feel like that if they hadn't got their hopes up, they wouldn't be feeling this way. That it's not the system's fault for damaging them, for traumatizing them, that it's their fault for thinking that they could have had a positive experience. And you see, they've looked at the evidence and they do know that's possible. And if they don't know about different models of care and the fact that you can walk into all these different models of care and statistically we can tell you what your birth rate outcomes will be. 
they don't have that information. So they they often walk in, they go in Australia, they go to see the GP. If they've got private insurance, they go see the private obstetrician or they go to the local public hospital. They don't know about midwifery models of care. They don't know about all of the options. And it's not till they're well and truly stuck in a system and they're on that ride where it's almost too late often for many of them that they suddenly think, oh, my goodness, I really had no idea. Yeah, women are being so let down. I kind of, I do want to come to a more sort of solution-focused conversation, but just before that, just can you talk a little bit about your um, a recent paper that you were involved in um, about obstetric violence? Sure. So I just want to really point out that my wonderful PhD student who finished last year and is now an early career researcher led this paper and she and I are leading the best um, study which is the birth experience study in Australia and um, we sent out a survey which went across Australia and we got over 8,800 women who completed this survey largest survey ever done in Australia and rather than all the sort of standard survey questions that um, lots of satisfaction surveys or health service surveys asked because we'd already been working on the BITOC study, which is the birth, birthing, uh, the birth and time of COVID, we developed lots of wonderful questions. And so we embedded in that questions around birth trauma or obstetric violence, models of care, um, and a lot more, a lot of open comment opportunities. So women left us thousands and thousands and thousands of comments. I mean, one one of the papers we've got under review now, so the 6,000 comments that we have analysed. Women are so, they care about their births. They care about the care they get and they care about other women also getting quality care. So it's, it's such a massive paper. It's a massive experience in women's lives and it can it's so often underestimated that the, the impact and the way that, that the memories of it, good or bad, stay with you forever. You talked about the totally. ripples when we were at the beginning, you were saying about, you know, um, you know, how it the, the experience ripples out. And, you know, I, I often think that when we talk about the healthy baby, you know, and health, you know, and we we, we we really reduce health down to just this idea of being alive, having a pulse, being alive. Yes. Whereas health is so much more complex than that, isn't it? And the, the ripples of that experience go out into a woman's future life and her baby and her partner and her close community everywhere absolutely and that's really important we're so focused on is the mother and the baby alive or damaged and that seems to be where we think our job ends in in the health services but you know that's that's a tiny part of this picture what about you know cultural safety emotional safety spiritual safety you know psychological safety why are those things not important because they really are to women yeah and also the flip side you know I, I always think it's interesting when you talk to women who have had really incredible birth experiences which is really really rare it's hard to find women who've had absolutely brilliant birth experiences where they feel they birthed their baby under their own steam the midwife was there probably but just sat on her hands and they felt that power of their body and they they did it they they chose what to do they they were completely autonomous it's so rare to find these women but when you talk to them it's like something's happened to them. It's like a milestone in their life that transformed them and they take that forward. So, you know, as well as talking about just women not being traumatized, I think it's really, I'm interested as well in thinking about why Mm. are we not, um, not using the word allowing, but why, what is holding us back from enabling that situation where women can have those birth experiences that make them, that change their life, that make them feel like there's nothing that they cannot, 
can't face for the rest of their life they will feel a stronger woman because of it <laughs> absolutely why do we not think i mean this is the everest that women get to climb this is the life experience of climbing everest and and achieving this amazing thing that men can't achieve they certainly can be the fathers and they can certainly be wonderful partners of what but women give birth and it is phenomenally amazing i mean if i said to you and you were getting married and you were planning a wedding and that it really doesn't matter weddings don't matter it doesn't matter how it turns out it doesn't matter who you invite it doesn't matter who crashes it or whether there's drunks at your wedding or whether they pull down the you know the wedding tent or what it doesn't matter we would go we'd be horrified but yeah. it doesn't matter that strangers barge into your birth room while your legs are open doesn't matter that people roll their eyes at you that people that you're given no choice like how dare we and and those were some of the sort of shocking situations that you uncovered in this mm. um, research you've just been involved in. Um, was it something yeah, like so, 10% so the, of women? Yeah, uh, 10%, 10%, over one in 10 women reported um, disrespectful or abusive care, which is defined as obstetric violence. Um, nearly a third of women um, have birth trauma. But we, we looked in this paper that was published, um, led by my wonderful um, colleague, Hazel Kedel. We looked at women who answered yes to the obstetric violence question. And then we looked at all the comments that they made in what was it that was done to them. And, you know, we found that of, of those 8,804 women, one of the biggest categories, one of the biggest categories was this disrespect, abuse and coercive comments. But really worrying, 7% were about physical abuse. And this is in Australia, you know, we're a supposedly liberated good country for women to live in and 17 percent were trauma and violence being held down for vaginal examinations and some of the stories when you read them it's it's like them describing a rape scene so the devastation in their lives and of course that put them at much higher risk of birth trauma as well is women are less likely to want to go on have another baby um, and if a woman has past trauma so if she's had a sexual abuse history she's got mental health problems if she's had a major health event and 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 felt distrust of, of people from that and then this happens to her it's almost like right that's it i've proved i can't i'm not safe and it's it's one of the most ultimate betrayals because we all think when we go to see health providers and we put our lives in their hands, so to speak, though we should always say, no, it's our choice and we ask, they work for us. We would expect the best from them and we would expect kindness, compassion, respect, consent, all the basics. And unfortunately, women are not getting that. Do you have a sense of um, what's happening on the other side in terms of, you know, I mean, because I, I always find this a really interesting paradox that, that you have uh, healthcare providers who will tell you it, this isn't happening um, it's kind of a little bit like um, sexual harassment, I suppose, isn't it? You know, you have men who say, well, I don't do that kind of thing and none of my friends do. And then you have women who say this happened to me. Um, so I don't want to compare healthcare providers with sexually abusive males, but it does strike me as a, as a that's something going on here in terms of what are healthcare providers thinking they are doing when that woman is having that experience that she's described to you? Well, it's very akin to that because they're in a position of power and trust. So if you look at, you know, um, abuse of women, you look at um, pedophilia, a whole bunch of things, which I'm not saying is the same as what we're talking about. The abuse of power and trust lay at the heart of, of what's going on. So that that's kind of the really first, you know, important 
thing to think about. We are also, I have a wonderful master's student who's just finished her master's looking at midwives' experiences of obstetric violence. So we know a lot now from women's experiences, we're getting worldwide research, particularly in many of the low and middle income countries. But, you know, the, the high income countries have kind of gone, we don't have that problem. So this is the first time we've kind of lifted that lid on, man, have we got, got, the, got a problem. But, you know, with obstetric violence, it's a really tricky topic. So I want to make really clear we're not talking about only obstetricians and we're not talking yeah. about only men. We are talking about health providers in positions of power and trust within the health service that are violating that. So these are midwives too. So there are certainly midwives who have done this. So my master's student has just interviewed a whole lot of midwives about what do they perceive obstetric violence to be and how do they intervene, interact, or feel complicit? Wow, that's interesting. And that'll be a really interesting paper. But there's so much. The other side of this is obstetric violence or birth trauma or disrespectful care does nobody any good. It's devastating for the mother. It's devastating for the partner often and for the baby in the future. But it's equally devastating for health workers. It destroys trust. It gives. It leads to burnout. It, it makes midwives leave. And we've got huge numbers of midwives who are burnt out and disillusioned by what they have to observe and be a part of. And then when they're a part of it, they feel that they're complicit and therefore they're part of the abuse. And some of them are part of the abuse. Yeah. So this, the violence, tra birth trauma, obstetric violence, disrespect and abuse, it's bad for everybody. And we have to measure this in terms of its impact on, on, on the economy, on health services, on psychological needs, on the future generations of children. This is really big. And our research that we're just coming to the point of being able to release soon is now looking at models of care that women are in and then looking at the levels of birth trauma uh, and obstetric violence and all of those other things that happen afterwards. And it's really clear, not to give anything major away, the continuity of midwifery care is massively protective over birth trauma when you control for all the differences in the models. So your model of care is critical. We need you to do this same research in the UK and in the USA. I mean, is that happening? Are, there, are you partnering up with anyone who's asking the same questions in these different places? We'd love to partner up with someone in the UK. I mean, I'm always mindful that they have got some very good surveys going too, and I, I, you know, we don't want to step on toes there. But we have got um, the Netherlands has just completed the best survey in the Netherlands, which we're analysing now. Um, Sweden is just commencing it, and Denmark are commencing it. So we would love more people to reach out a hand and say, "I will lead, I'll lead the UK best survey because we'll give it to you and give you all the all the support." Well, maybe if someone's watching or listening, they can get in touch with you about that, because I think that sounds vital, really amazing and important. Thinking about the sort of, you know, the solution focused part of our conversation, what what on earth can we do? I mean, you're obviously, you are a solution focused woman. That's why I think you're amazing. You're, that's what you're doing. This work that you're doing is can be part of the solution. But part of me, and I think probably part of all of us who are involved in the conversation around childbirth does sometimes feel, I mean, you have moments of despair, don't you? Because you think, well, women have been saying all this. Why should you even have to? It's part, when, I, when you were talking, I was thinking, why should Hannah even have to do this survey to prove 
that women are traumatized by childbirth to prove that they're having these experiences because I mean I haven't been involved in childbirth for anywhere near as long as you or any anything like the same level but I've still heard that all of those stories over and over again and you know also I was thinking how on earth did you manage to go through all that because that's one thing I found really difficult about being involved in the childbirth conversation is having to read all those stories over and over and over and it's it's horrible when you said about the six thousand responses or something of you know the, the words I can't remember how you put it but all those words of, of trauma you know to have to read them at, you know it's so hard and we know this is happening and we know it's been happening for decades and we know that women like you have been trying to make change mm. and we know that it's still happening in the UK we just had the care quality commission report um, which was really damning um, and the pandemic is being blamed all for making things worse but we know that it was awful before the pandemic and the pandemic just gave le legitimized the stripping away of of more of what women needed mm. sorry i went on a bit of a rant no, no, that's, that's, so, <laughs> that's so true we love to blame everybody but actually realize we have a problem and when the obstetric violence paper came out we were so careful in the media and that to say this is not about obstetricians this is about healthcare providers we need to work together to find solutions and the obstetric response in all of the media was really well if only we had better staffing this wouldn't happen and I thought isn't that interesting that you know if you gave us more people then we wouldn't be nasty to people like you know I do believe that poor staffing is the worst possible thing for giving quality care so I'm, I'm not dismissing that but we've got to take ownership so you, you ask me like what's what's the solution so number one we need it from several prongs so we need it from women. We need women to keep going. We need women to keep protesting. We need women to go to parliament. We need women to write about it. We need women to, to get themselves noticed. But we can't just always say women have got to do it. We need legislation. Now, in Australia, we do not have a National Human Rights Act. So really, there's no teeth. If somebody wants to take a case and they haven't got scars or damage to show, really hard to get these cases heard. So we actually need human rights legislation from the top. We need to do co-located multidisciplinary education at university where midwives, obstetricians, social workers, psychologists get in the same room together and do obstetric violence and trauma-informed care trainings. So this is what we're lobbying for now. Start at undergraduate level. Let's get it in there. And then we need to get to all of those who are out there already and into a lot of bad habits. And we need to get it recognised enough that health workers have to attend training that really make sure they understand the implications and, and you know, what needs to be done. Currently, it's really exciting. We have a parliamentarian in New South Wales who, for all things, she's the um, animal rights activist member. Like, you know, you you want, sometimes you get support from the most amazing places. And she's really taken this up. She's asked questions in Parliament. She's now wanting to draft legislation to, to, to really address it. So it's not one solution. We keep doing research. Women get active. Legislation needs to come in. It needs to happen in Parliament. It needs to happen legally. And it needs to happen at training level. And until we all say we've got a problem, very hard to fix it why are we so bad at understanding what women want and need and listening to women so look there's a big part of me that forgives this because having worked 20 years in a fragmented system where I was always at the end where a woman would come into to the labor ward and I'd meet her in pain I'd never known her before 
awful scenario when you're trying to figure out what does someone want and how do you connect with them. Then I, I left that and I worked 10 years as a private practicing midwife where I did majority home births, where we had normal birth rates of over 90%, where I just saw the power of a relationship, the power of building trust, not only women trusting us, but what I found is the, the loss of faith I had in the system, I had almost become scared of everything. Women taught me to trust again, and then I trusted them. They trusted me. It was a wonderful, virtuous cycle. And so we've got to recognise that we've got health professionals in stress situations coming into rooms where they don't even know that person in a stress situation, concerned they're going to be litigated against, you know, concerned that the buck stops with them when it comes to doctors. And in that panic and concern, we do really unfortunate things that are not firstly effective or safe and lastly very damaging to women so relationships make you get to know a woman they know you know what she wants you know she doesn't want a mother-in-law there you know that you know her, her toddler's having difficult sleeping that really worries you so that in that birthing room you know so much about how do you tiptoe gently as I call it amongst the debris that women have that they bring in their lives to birth and in that sensitivity when things go wrong informed consent occurs and then afterwards that same midwife can spend the next six weeks checking in hearing the stories checking whether or not extra help needs to be and so there's that debriefing processing what we currently do with majority of our care in australia is women see different providers all the time they come in and birth with a complete stranger maybe have three or four changeovers with a first-time mum they might have two days in the uh, postnatal ward if, if they're lucky Many of them will might get three or four visits at home from postnatal care and then see you later. And they're yeah. very lucky to get anything after two weeks. And you're left often for women. They haven't processed it. They haven't had time to think about it. They're holding a baby. They're sleepless. They're, you know, I should be in love. And then it starts to brew. And six to eight weeks afterwards, man, it all starts to come out. Yeah, I think postnatal care, I mean, we haven't really talked much about that today, but that's another massive, um, you know, cool. piece of the puzzle, isn't it? In terms of, you know, I, I talk to so many women who, who sort of get in touch with me saying, this happened to me when I had my baby. Was it the right, what, I, I can't stop thinking about it. What, should they have done that? Or should they not have done that? Should I have said no? Or should I have not consented? Or should I put it in my birth plan? You know, they're going, they're going over and over and over that moment. The system isn't. But no, then- and we found so many women when we asked that question, did you complain? Did you think about it? Would you like to? So many women didn't know they actually could. Yeah. So thank goodness we now have some great organisations that women can go to, human rights organisations, um, you know, counselling organisations, et cetera, that can really start to help advocate for yeah. women's voices. But also to have that relationship-based care that you talk about yeah, that, that then comes past the birth, you know, and again, it's like the healthy baby is all that matters thing, isn't it? It's like, well, you've had the baby now, so you don't need anything else. But even yeah. after a complicated, difficult birth, to have someone there who you know, like you say, afterwards, who you can talk to yeah. about it, you wouldn't have to be emailing people like me, to- a total stranger, to say, should this have happened to me or not? You would have been able to have that conversation with somebody that you've yeah. got that eye connection with, that link, that that soul to soul, you know, they were there when you were in your most intimate birthing moment. So you build a, a connection in that moment, don't you? That's so precious. And we're just kind of throwing that and away, it, aren't we? 
if it all works really well and you come back for your next baby, you'll get the same midwife if it all works well. And you'll go through a, a labor and birth that is is tiptoes amongst again the debris and and really does everything to carve out what was perhaps missing or problematic in that first birth. And you know, you've got the wonderful Jill Thompson in the UK who writes about redemptive birth. So trauma is not the end of the story. You know, like all bad things that happen in life, we we have the opportunity to turn the wound to gold, as as Rumi says. So how do we turn the wound to gold? First, let's stop the wound. Yeah. There are going to be wounds. Let's do that safely when it happens. And then let's turn the wound to gold and help women to do that. Hannah, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, Before we finish, could you just give a little bit of advice to anyone listening to this who is pregnant, who's thinking, how can, what can I do? I know you said quite rightly, it's, it shouldn't all be on women, but I know this is something that pregnant women, you know, will listen to a podcast like this and think, mm-hmm. oh, you know, what can I do? So what would you say to them? So, for example, in, in the UK, you contact your, your human rights organisations, your maternity um, advocacy groups. Um, you can contact your local MP if you really think it's serious enough that you do want to do it. You can write to your hospital and ask for a meeting with them and ask to look at your notes and ask to have an explanation. So, you know, do not stay there in it. Talk to someone and there's more. go online, look up birth trauma, go online, you know, get connected to mothers groups that are really you know that's what was so wonderful about your 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 you know your your, your positive um birthing positive birth movement groups. yeah because it, it it enabled people to share but it also moved on to strength it was a strength based as well and and a positive thing and we need to do that we need to move out of the trauma yeah. it's really important we don't continue to repeat the trauma um but there's so many groups now available and is there anything that a woman can do who hasn't had a baby yet, who's maybe listening to this pregnant, to take control of her birth and try and have a positive experience? Please do your research. If you bought a microwave or a fridge, you would look at the star rating and a whole bunch of things. Do not walk in with the most ex- one of the most important experiences of your life and just think anything you get is going to be the same. Research, advocate, and do it early because many of the good models of care, sadly, book out very early because they once women know, they're all in demand. Hannah, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I think you are the gold in the wound and um, I appreciate your existence on this planet more than you will ever know. So thank you so much. Right back at you, Millie. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about why childbirth is a feminist issue, a new edition of Give Birth Like a Feminist was published in January 2023 and it's available on Kindle, audiobook and paperback from all good bookshops. Please also subscribe to the podcast to show your support and make sure you don't miss an episode. See you next time on Give Birth Like a Feminist.